everybody. Robbie here. This is the Coach's Journey podcast and this is episode number 44 with Claire Pedrick. Claire was speaking at the ICF conference in 2019 when a publisher approached her and said, have you got a book in you? That book is Simplifying Coaching, which many of you may have read, and in it, Claire offers a rallying cry for filtering out the noise of the coaching industry and honing in on the very human essence of transformative conversations. In this episode, Claire and I trace the steps that led her into a burgeoning coaching landscape around the turn of the century, um, although she started coaching much earlier than that, as she'll, as she'll tell us, and reflect, we reflect together on the precious lessons learned from moments that sometimes felt like missteps. She shines a light on the guruing and pedestaling that can lead to problematic power dynamics in coaching and shares the foundational values such as equity and fairness that underpin the success of her company, 3D Coaching, um, and that saw her recognised with the 2022 Outstanding Contribution to Coaching Award from Henley Business School. Claire is a master of the art of communicating complicated things simply, um, but admits it took a long time to have the confidence to cut through complexity and offer straightforward truths when coaching, training or mentoring coaches. Listening to her speak, you can't fail to appreciate the fundamental importance of that approach, which she explains with beautiful clarity. In this episode, we talk about so many things. We talk about whether we as coaches have to be the things we want to develop in people. We talk about the impact of modelling the boundaries we set, uh, how constraints lead to creativity, holy ground in the coaching space, how to create it and how to relate to it, being wise about how many coffees to have with someone and whether you can still really, really call it work. Um, learning how to be silent and how to wait while coaching clients are doing good work. And and we also talk really beautifully, um, Claire speaks about how to value your time, how to balance delivery and business development, the importance of coaches about, about telling the truth about ourselves and much more. Um, that conversation on time really struck me, especially listening back. Um, and if you are interested in ideas like that, or, although Claire won't be there, but I'll probably use some of the things she talks about. Um, I'm hosting what for me feels like the first ever time that I in my coaching business have hosted an event open to the public that's just for, just me hosting it. Although I had a great com- exchange on LinkedIn with my friend and former client, Helen, about um, whether it's really the first one I've hosted. But it feels to me like like it is. Um, It's called How to Be More Productive, brackets, uh, and why time management won't help you. Um, And it's on the uh, 8th of December at 10am UK time. There's a link in the show notes um, for this podcast, wherever you're listening, or you can find it by probably uh, on my social media or or, or via a LinkedIn event. Um, It's on Eventbrite as well. Um, And it could also be a great reason to join the Coach's Journey community if you've been thinking about that because members of the community and supporters get a big discount. You can also get a signed book, which is quite a rare thing for me to be offering if you buy a certain ticket for the event. Um, So yeah, there's a link for that in the show notes. Um, uh, And if you can't find it, just email me at uh, hello at robbieswale.com. And I hope to see some listeners of the podcast there. There's some great stuff in there. both for you potentially in your business it's a lot of stuff that I have learned myself but it's also the content I created for clients and particularly that I created for researchers I do a lot of work on leadership programs with some of the leading researchers in the UK academic researchers and this is this is stuff that content that I've kind of tested and used many times with them um, and now I'm, I'm really excited to be opening it out to the public so I hope to see some of you there um, again link in the show notes for that it's on the 8th of December um but back to the conversation with Claire, um, 
first of all, excuse our maths conversation. So Claire and I discovered that we both studied maths. And actually, I didn't even get a chance to talk about the fact that she might have nearly studied French, which I would have loved to have studied at A-level, but couldn't because it clashed with maths in my school, uh, small, small sixth form that I went to. Um, that bit of conversation, I think, is really interesting. And obviously, Claire does too. Yeah, useful if you have a child who's good or not good at maths. Um, but if you really don't want to hear about the way Claire and I think about maths, you can skip forward five minutes. We get into it about 10 minutes into the show. You just skip forward a little bit. But I think it's interesting. I don't think you should skip. Um, I have a feeling when I was listening back to this show that if you don't know Claire yet, um, for some listeners, you're really going to fall in love with her. The way she talks about coaching, money, fees, time, and more. There's so much stuff in there that is just a... She, she calls herself outspoken and opinionated at times, but it's mostly, to me, just reflect, refreshing um, and deep. And it reminded me just... I, you know, I know this from the, the, the other conversations I've had with Claire, um, but she's just a really impressive woman to be in the presence of, to hear talk. Um, part of that is the way she doesn't stand for the idea of the guru and, and does stand where it counts, really, for real equality in her coaching and her business. She's a role model for a wholesome way of working in so many ways, and there's so much in here about that. Um, so, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't really... I tried, tried, but couldn't really get her to tell us the detail about her next book. But news on that apparently is incoming, so do um, search Amazon. It might be out by the time you're listening to this, or not out, but available for pre-order. But I'm sure anyone who's read that, that first book, Simplifying Coaching... Um, which, as I say, just kind of exploded into my awareness um, when members of the Coaches Journey community suddenly started talking about it. Um, I'm sure people who have read that will be looking forward to the next one. So without further ado, I just hope you have a wonderful time in the company of Claire Pedrick. Claire Pedrick, welcome to the Coaches Journey podcast. Thank you. It is such fun to be here. It really is. And let's start by, so the, it, most people will be listening to this episode, but let's start by talking about what we were just talking about, when, when, before, which, which caused me to say, no, we've got to start now because we're having interesting chat, um, which is the people who are watching on video, of, of who there might be some, will be able to see when you speak, Claire, that you're sitting in a nice chair. Tell, tell us about the fact that you're sitting in a nice chair. I have had a particularly busy Zoom week and I broke my chair. So if anyone's watched any of my webinars where I'd say coaching goes backwards, coaching is meant to go forwards, but actually sometimes it goes backwards. I think probably my spinny chair, because it had gone, because it had gone backwards and forwards at the same distance so many hundreds of times. I was talking to somebody the other day and the top fell off. <laughs> So I the idea that you, been, yeah, you wore out your chair from doing too I much did. teaching I wore out and my coaching. Chair. And I've been sitting on a dining chair all week. My new chair's coming this afternoon. And I just thought, I never sit in this chair for webinars. I wonder if I can make the camera work and the microphone work. It's Friday. It's, you know, so it's you. Yeah. And I just thought, let's see what it feels like to have a chat which feels different from having an interview. Yeah, yeah. And I was saying, I think that, like, um, it would be fun thing to do to, like, for a podcast. It's, it's not going to be this one. Maybe it will be in the future. But somebody who's waiting to set up a podcast now, who's listening to this, I think it'd be a cool thing if you insisted on all your guests always sitting in a really nice, like, comfy chair 
for the conversation. Because imagine if you if you had a podcast studio, you might well set it up. I mean, when you see them, they're often like radio studios, which is always a bit of a shame. But if you're actually trying to create a podcast studio, you might well, like I might create one with like really, really nice chairs so that we could, because it would be a different quality of conversation. Yeah, and I think we have a different voice. So when I do a, until my... My standing desk also broke. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so people who are watching, uh, people who are listen- for people who are listening, I'm standing at a standing desk because I'm in my new house and I've treated myself to a desk. Um, yeah, so I'm at a standing desk, but yours is broken. So this it is like has. a bad, you're having a bad run with furniture. I the universe am. is sending it's you a message. A furniture issue. And they were all new two years ago when we moved here. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but the interesting thing about, I think we have a different voice mm. when our body is in a different position. So. I just want to test out whether this is the glass of wine voice. <laughs> because actually when I do when I do keynote talks online, I always stand up and my mm. colleagues say that that is my standing in a conference center projecting to 200 people engaging the crowd voice. Whereas when I'm sat at my broken chair you know, quite close to the camera. That's my kind of one-to-one voice. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? For So, you know, anyone who's done any, like my friend Sarah Cartwright runs a lot of uh, public speaking training, communicating with impact training. She always talks about, she always reminds people that the physical posture affects the voice, right? So like on a very, in a very like physical way, you know, the the resonance is different, all those kinds of things. But it's interesting to think, isn't it? Now we're working so much online that if you're doing a fireside chat type thing, Maybe you should be sitting in a nice comfy chair like that, you know, because if if because it's what the I guess it's what the people watching expect as well, isn't it? If they're coming to something build as a keynote on some level, it's probably good that you're standing because they're getting Absolutely. a bit something a bit closer to what they would get if you were in a lecture theatre. Yeah, But I know something now that I didn't know when I did this five minutes ago. And that is that actually next time I need to be at a slightly different angle because right now you and I are face to face. Yeah. And actually it would feel more natural. Yeah. But I would have to tidy up. Yeah. <laughs> if the chair was kind of here and we weren't quite like this. Yeah. yeah but yeah. that's the learning for next time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Claire, it's it's really nice to be having this conversation. Um, I love that we've done that little that little intro. I, it's like for me, you appeared as if from nowhere into my life in in about like about a year ago, a bit more. When suddenly a bunch of my clients and members of the Coach's Journey community started talking about your book, uh, Simplifying Coaching. And then Alex Swallow, who uh, is a member of the community, introduced, like when he was knew what we were doing, I was doing my podcast challenge, which is still ongoing. Um, uh, he suggested speaking to you and I learned about your podcast and that's when we met. But you've been, you've been doing coaching for much longer than that, right? So <laughs> when did you first come across the coaching in the way that w- you and I would talk about it now uh 35 years ago yeah is that like exactly like you can kind of what's the what was the what was the event 1986 years was that yeah. 35 years ago pretty much 36 must be must not I can't do the math yeah so I got oh no 1987 1987 it was 35 years ago yeah so uh I was looking for a job And a job came up that was called Information and Counselling Secretary. Charity, in those days, everybody who worked in charity was called a secretary. And then you had a secretary who was a secretary and you were not. 
But anyway, that's another that's another linguistic thing. So um, the job was to motivate, encourage, talk to people around the UK about working in international development and have one-to-one conversations with people to help them work out if working overseas was for them. It was called counselling because it was a conversation, but there was nothing wrong with anybody. Well, occasionally, but there was, you know, the people that I was talking to didn't have a problem that needed counselling or they needed a space to think about things. Mm. So I'd been coaching for 10 years before I knew that coaching was a thing. Yeah. And what I did was I did mentoring and coaching. So the single session coaching that we do now, 35 years later, um, doesn't look that different from what I started doing in 1987. And then at the end of the conversation, when I kind of helped somebody to think about it, they would then say, So if I was to want to do that, who might be looking for people like me? And, of course, that was pre-internet. So I had a big file which was regularly updated with printed lists of, you know, Oxfam have got these jobs and this organisation's got these jobs. And I would flip through my file and I would say, so the people looking for plumbers are... So there was some mentoring and information giving, but, but... I'm quite proud of the fact that I that that the bit before that really was coaching and I really honestly had to kind of make it up as I went along. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about that and and kind of how you did that because when I've spoken to people on yeah I think it's particularly interesting for people who are coming to coaching now I think to speak to people who have had to kind of what sharpen the skills outside or have come to the kind of place that you're at now but I've had to sharpen the skills outside of the kind of mechanisms that exist now because there are always I imagine that's why your book has landed so simplified coaching has landed so well with people because it was it was sharpened kind of it's looking at everything in the same way as most coach trainings would look at it now but it was sharpened separately so there are bits in that book that that came from those 10 years not from the training and learning that you've done since then yeah and Um, you see that's interesting because when I found out I was a coach, <laughs> oh, I was so relieved because yeah. I'd spent 10 years trying to go, people go, what do you do? And you say, well, I talk to people to help them think about stuff. Um, but this is still, Claire, what coaches say now when people say, what do you do? I want to go, people at least could look it up online and find out what it is. True, true. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's why I now say I'm an author, it's easier. Yeah, <laughs> good thinking. Okay. I like it. I still say I'm the coach, but like, um, oh god, sorry. No, I think I think what was interesting was that I really felt I should get some training because I wasn't trained to do what I was doing because I made it up. But then I had to go on a coach training program, which which I gladly did. But it was really odd because I had had got more experience than some of the people that were training me, and. So there was a sense-making thing. So all along, so simplifying coaching was probably born then. 
because I remember getting the, the, the handouts and you had to buy your own files and they sent you this, they shipped from America this, I promise you, it was it was like five reams of paper. And I had to put them all in folders and they all came with little separators. And I mean, honestly, and I'm looking at it and going, I really get that I need to learn to do this better. I absolutely, I also need credibility because I need a, a, a training and a qualification that proves that I can do this. I need to refigure myself because I've been, you know, I've been doing it on my own and making it up. Um, I also thought, this is an awful lot of paper. This is an awful lot of material to have a, you know, to learn how to have a better conversation with somebody. So I guess, I mean, I've always been a bit of a rebel. Um, and that's probably what's got me through. But you know, I think, oh, golly. But, it's t- but it took me, it took me all those years of, of going, is it really this hard? And I'd say things sometimes. And because it, because I was a dissonant voice. Well, I thought I was a dissonant voice. And the other voice, the other voice was louder. You know, you need to know this and you need to know this and you need to know this and you need to know this. And actually, once you get experience, you also need to know this and this and this and this. Because that was the that was the voice, and that's still the voice that that we hear. Um I'd say things in little places, but I'd apply to speak at conferences and they'd say no. <laughs> mm. And then, I mean, then I started getting into conferences and and then and then a publisher said, do you want to write a book? So I went, well, I thought it's inside me. So actually that won't be that difficult, will it? Because all I need to do is to get out what's inside. And and and. Basically, it's the book of a course we run that's called Transforming Conversations, and it just needed the stories. And I'm a bit of a storyteller, and I, I'd always done public speaking in that first 10 years, and I think I'd learnt, you know, there were a lot of skills that I got in that job that have really equipped me all the way through. You know, the ability to turn up somewhere and be the one who's going to be the speaker on whatever it is, um, which is really good for marketing because it gets you out there and people know you and then you get work. So that kind of confidence to be in front of the group was, was always was always present. I'm getting lost now. You better ask me a question. <laughs> sure, happy to, happy to. Um, <laughs> well, maybe let's let's rewind. Let's rewind actually, because um, I know from your LinkedIn profile that some of the so you've done. I guess part of the question is what took you to that international development role. Right. My LinkedIn profile is so out of date, honestly. That's great. I like it, Claire. I always like checking people's LinkedIn profiles before I speak to them because they're always out of date. But that's great because it means you get a, a bit of old story as well as the new story that people people have. Mine's the same. Mine's the same. Um, and so, but what took you to the international development role? I think that you had worked abroad. You'd worked in international yeah. development. Is that right? I had. So the story of what took me to that role is very funny. So uh, I always wanted to to work in Africa, where I right with the university. So I did my teach training. And what, so why I'm did trained... you want to work in Africa? I just did. Yeah. Um, my faith, my Christian faith is quite an important part of my life and it felt like it was a calling. So, and actually, if you look through the lens of calling, it was that calling that took me to the international development role that was a calling that's taken me to this. 
Mm-hmm. And the most hysterical thing about the whole thing, which which I love from a human and a kind of spiritual perspective, is I did the wrong degree. So uh, I <laughs> I went to a school that basically encouraged you to do a degree that had the name of one of your A-level subjects. So I did maths, French and economics, but I wasn't very good at economics. So that left maths and French and the teacher said I wasn't very good at French, although it turned out I was. So that left maths. So I went to university and did a degree in applied statistics. We talked about this before. Do you know that I did a degree in maths as well? Really? Yeah. Well, imagine. I can't believe we haven't talked about this before. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. So you did applied statistics. Yes. So I really... That would have been a better choice for me. I did a kind of straight up maths and it was a bit too uh, abstract for me. By that point, I think something more applied would have suited me better. But probably something to do with people would have suited me better. Anyway, I didn't understand this is about it. You. Yeah, exactly. Me too. I got partway through my first year and was like, oh, this is what people feel. Other people felt like at kind of 15 when maths got too hard. You know? Do you know? Do you know? That's it. You're proving my theory, Robbie. <laughs> so I have a theory. This is very divergent. But anyway, I have a theory <laughs> that in maths, everybody hits a moment. And when they hit that moment, it's impossible to get past it in maths. Um, So when I went on to be a maths teacher, that was a really useful thing to know. Mm. I hit it in about week two of university. (laughs) Yeah, I think me too, Claire. It was a really like humbling moment. Like, and it was, no, it was a bit later. It was sometime in the first, actually, no, I think it was the second term for me because the first term they did in my, my degree, they did kind of a lot of like, make sure we're all in the same place. So actually in the first term, I could manage it because a lot of it was repeating stuff. Half of it was like repeating stuff that I'd at least done some of before. But the second term, it started to get started to get weird. That you'd learnt in Bostock and Chandler, right? That amazing maths textbook. <laughs> but but so, Claire, just like, well, you know, here we are in a lovely diversion, I, you know, which is one of the things I like about this podcast. I've got time and space to do it. One of the things I, I basically had, I had the exact same idea. Um, I call it something different. But when I hit it in my degree and then when I was thinking about afterwards, I thought, you know, it basically exactly the same as you. And then I got really, I had a you know a real moment where I saw things differently because I read, um, I think it's in Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, yeah. He makes a very convincing argument that, uh, and how does he do it? Basically that mass is about persistence. So it's about how much, how willing you are to persist. And it's something like this. I'm going to get the story slightly wrong, I'm sure, but it's like they can do it. The evidence that he uses, now who knows if this is conclusive or whatever, but is from standardized international tests. And basically you have two things as part of the test. You have a, well, there's like a probably numerical and verbal and something else, but you have a numerical reasoning test, a maths test basically. But also at the end of it, you have a um, a uh, like optional demographics questionnaire. And so people can choose to fill as much or as little of this incredibly long detailed thing about them and their parents and their uh, parents' education and their education and their upbringing as they like after they've done the maths test. And essentially, the the, the correl- it's it's like correlation is exact between how much time on the optional thing you put in and how well you do in the maths test. So his theory, therefore, is really it's about how willing are you to just sit with the thing for as long as it takes. I and wasn't. so possibly the ceiling is: Are you willing? Am I? Was I willing to sit with um, undergrad analysis lessons uh, lectures? Uh, no, was the answer basically by that point. Uh, with no, I didn't. Uh, the teaching was was weird at university as well. I had a lovely time. 
did you? And I had a good time at university. Third, yeah, yeah. I got a third class degree, and I remember in my final year there were three exams that I only put my name on. Yeah. Okay. Because you got there and they were too hard. Yeah. Yeah. And and I didn't have persistence in those days. I think I do now. But but I, I, when I when the results came out, my friend Molly came with me to look at the results, and I was absolutely over the moon. And everybody's going, did you get a first? You didn't get a first, did you, Claire? I'm going, I got an honours degree. <laughs> this is just exactly. for business. But it's, I well, got you're... a third class honours degree and I thought I was going to fail. It was amazing. I know. My second year when I passed, at the end of my first year when I passed, me and my friend Matt, so he was he was the other kind of like... Um, like a real oddball in the maths course. He 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 like quit and went to art school. He failed and went to art school, which is a much better place for him. And it would have probably been better off me going there as well. But um uh he was just like amazed that I'd passed. He was like, How did you do that? And and I was like really delighted, like you. I was like, okay, I'll stay at this university, we'll carry on. But it's great because it's my my friend Ed says this great thing that I always think about with I'm sure he didn't coin this, uh, Ed Watson, he's called um and he's kind of, he used to be a teacher and is now an education consultant and helps people design learning and things like that. But he talks about failure. You know, if you want to talk about resilience, well, failure is just, um, what does he say? Like the, your expectations and reality not matching. And he uses the exam piece as a way yeah. to show that, right? Because he sat there on A-level results day and seen two students, one getting the same results, one being distraught and one being delighted like you were. Yeah. Because it's a lot about, well, what did you expect? And and what, you know, and there you are with, amazing, I got a third class degree. I got yeah. a degree in this crazy applied statistics. Exactly, exactly. So I wouldn't be doing this job now mm-hmm. if I hadn't done a maths degree. Because the maths degree took you to the teaching. Yes, and the teaching took me to Africa and Africa took me to the coaching. Yeah. Right. And then, and then let's like... Uh, I wonder. I wonder how, like, uh, listeners, let us know if if our if our digression into maths was interesting for you. I think there was some great stuff in there, but we'll see what other people think. Like, warn people at the start: if you don't want to learn about what it was like to study maths, then skip past the first ten minutes. Um, Claire, so in then let's let's come back to the international development role. Yeah, as you were doing ten years, that must be like thousands of hours of these conversations with people over that time. I had. I had enough hours to go I had about 2,000 hours but I couldn't count it towards Mm. accreditation because the people I was working with didn't know I was coaching because coaching wasn't a word wasn't a thing so when did you discover so you said it was great to like find out that you were a coach how did you find out you were a coach where did you come across the word coaching first in bed in Say more. So I had two small children. Uh, it must have been, I don't know, the late 90s. So my kids were very young. And I used to take them to stay with my mum and dad. And my mum read Good Housekeeping magazine. And so she would stack up all her Good Housekeeping magazines next to the spare bed where I slept. I'd leave my husband at home and he'd still go to work and I'd take the kids for a week or so to my parents and my parents were amazing with the kids so because they lived quite a long way away they'd sort of just loved to be with the children so the kids would go and get into bed with 
mum and grandpa and they'd take their storybooks and I'd have a lie-in and then read Good Housekeeping magazine. And I was reading this article and it was about Thomas Leonard, who the Americans say is the founder of coaching. I think Socrates probably was the founder of coaching. But anyway, <laughs> um, or Jesus, actually. Yeah, um, Jesus is definitely a coach. I think it's pretty, yeah, definitely. Pretty so, so, so I, I thought that's what I do. Yeah, and I think Ellie was about to go to nursery. I think she was probably um, a year or something off going to nursery. And I think I remember thinking, "You've been hoofing it, Claire. You stopped teaching a long time ago. You've been using what you know." to do what you do but it would be good to get some good training and so I thought well maybe I can get training in the thing I'm already doing so of course no internet I know for many of our listeners that is a really weird thing to know but there was no internet so I had to I think it was just coming in I think by the time I started at Coach U I had an email address yeah yeah, 99, 2000, that was about when we, normal people, I think, who weren't, you know, I think I, we had like a friend, some friends who had the internet a bit earlier than that, but that was because, you know, the what the guy was really interested in technology. And it, yeah, like 99, 2000, that's about right, isn't it? So I had Probably to make had phone address. calls and yeah. write letters and <laughs> ask people things. Yeah, and get and some I... of paper in the post from America, yeah. <laughs> So I basically discovered, I was able to find out there were two coach training programs. One of them was in Scotland and you had to go for like five days at a time and that wasn't going to work. And the other one was on the phone um, to America. And then I talked to some people who'd done it and discovered that you could get a phone, you could get a, a special gadget you put in your landline phone that gave you, I don't can't remember how it worked. But you had. The... I'm remembering this kind of gadget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of that what that helped that made it cheaper to call America or something. Yeah, yeah. And so that made it affordable. And so I would. So I did the whole training audio only, mm. live audio, on the phone, over a couple of years, around the children. So I'd probably do a class when they were at, when Ellie was at nursery, and then I might do one in the evening. Yeah. And I yeah. and I, I did a lot of classes and not a lot of practice. Right. Because the classes had quite a lot of students in. And you could easily get in the back row. Some people were doing practice on these calls, but it but with so many people there. Yeah. So there was a practicum thing where you did practice, but you didn't get that much practice. But I guess I was still doing it as I was still doing it. So I was by then I'd gone self-employed, but I was working as a consultant for the people that I'd worked with before. So I was still doing coaching a lot. Yeah, and we, and so you know, you said that kind of. Well, I can't remember what you said. You know, it's like there's low. There's a lot of paper here. You know, and in some ways you had more experience than some of the people running the training because you'd done all these hours. But were there still things that you learned on that program that you felt like? sharpen some of those skills you were using were you using them or was it was it really for you it was the certification and the credibility i can't from that remember yeah yeah 
I can't remember, but I can remember not really ever going back to the notes. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a whole lever arch file on different kinds of people. Mm. And you do a whole four-hour course on coaching the entrepreneur, coaching the this, coaching the that, coaching the the other, coaching the other. But actually everybody's different. So if if I was rewriting their course for them, I'd have one piece of paper that went, everybody's different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's some there's some some simplifying, simplifying coaching happened right, right there. Um and so Claire. When did coaching more explicitly become your work? So once I'd finished that, I, um, my dad said to me, probably in about 98, I think it must have been by about 98. So after I'd started the course, I think that you could then register a domain name. I think probably we'd got a computer by then, even though the training didn't happen by computer. Tra- training happened on the phone. And... So I wanted to call the business something. So nobody was, nobody had, I'm quite an early adopter of lots of things. So, so I thought I could call it clairepedrickcoaching.com. And my dad said, don't call a business by your name, because if you call it by your name, everybody's always going to think it's you. And if you ever decided it was going to do something else, it, it would have your name attached to it. So because a lot of the work that I did with the people who wanted to go overseas was about, it was about purpose um, and it was about who they were and it was about three things, which I can't even remember. So I said to my dad, I could call it WWW coaching. And he said, you can't have www.www coaching, Claire. So he just said, why don't you call it 3D coaching? which was genius on about 30 million levels, which I didn't really realise, like it always gets to the top of the list. Oh, yeah. But nobody was buying domains because it was so new. So, of course, I thought I want this domain. So so I, you just go and get it. <laughs> and my brother was in IT and he helped me, you know, work out how to do these things because I didn't really know what I was doing. So, so, so then I own www.3dcoaching.com and, and started calling it 3D Coaching. And the 3D bit has had about five or six or seven iterations. And every so often when you think, actually, let's get a bit clearer, even clearer about what we do, then it has another version. And I'm really deeply grateful to my dad, actually, for, for, you know, for that real genius thing, because I don't run the business anymore. Yeah, right. Um, and I work in the business and I'm not leaving. Um, but I decided when I got to 60 a few months ago that I didn't want to be the boss anymore. Mm. So I'm not. And it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell tell me about that, about that decision, about what's changed and what that means for you. Uh well, one of the teams on maternity leave, so it hasn't changed as much as it's going to because <laughs> I'm we have a very cooperative way of, of working. So um I'm I'm covering quite a lot of stuff for maternity, but it's actually quite fun stuff to cover. So I'm covering comms, um, which is a different level of energy. And I that's quite fun. Um I'm 
also doing project management, which I is not my preferred thing, but somebody's got to do it. And we're just getting, you know, we keep getting to the point of do we need more people? But you've got to kind of go beyond that before you recruit. Mm-hmm. So, order- say more about that. I think I've got an idea, but you, I guess you're in this team. Is that just because? I think, well, fun out, if you but, recruit yeah. people, you've got to pay them. So you've got to be really, really confident you know what it is they need to do and that there is an ongoing job for them to do before you hire them. That means you've got to kind of do part of their job to work out what their job is before you hire them. And that's just a bit of a pain this week, which is why <laughs> I'm sitting in an armchair. That's right. You need, you need the armchair. Nicely back to that loop. And, and so what, Claire, what was the bit of leading the organisation, of being the boss, that you were really ready to hand over or pass on? I'm going to answer that in a completely different way, or maybe I'm going to answer a completely different question. I think I always try to say that to my uh, people I'm coaching. It's absolutely fine to ignore what I say and answer a better question. Like, that's absolutely, in fact, that's, that's encouraged. So about 16 years ago, maybe longer, I took on an associate. This is the first, the first person into 3D coaching. Oh, no, golly, I'd have lots of associates before that. Uh, like many people new to business, I thought having associates was a really good idea. Lots of people have been associates of mine and never had any work. Mm. <laughs> Not now, but in the early days. Yeah. Because uh, you think, oh, yeah, if I have associates, that will be a really good thing. And then... You, you don't know what to do with them. And then at the beginning, people want you. Anyway, she has done an awful lot of work over the years. And I think I've always known deep down that she would take it on. And we had a conversation about the fact that that would probably happen in the end. And we had that conversation more than 10 years ago. Right. So it's always been a, this is probably what's going to happen. And then... I don't know. Time disappears, doesn't it? But at some point in the last few years, we had a, when are we going to know that this is the moment conversation? And and of course that needed to be, when do I know it's the moment for me? And when does she know it's the moment for her? And that might not be the same moment, but it turned out it was. So a piece of work she'd been doing finished, a, a relation, a, a customer relationship she'd had for many years finished. And I was coming to my birthday. And we said, okay, let's do it then. Nice. nice. And um, hmm. I mean, we could talk much more about that. But I guess I, I you know, I, we, you just touched on the start of the business. And I love that story about having associates and thinking that they'll help. And also any most coaches listening probably are thinking about the associate roles they've had where they didn't get do any work for the company, but also didn't like you just you know you just pointed to the other side of it. Also, didn't really help the company in any way. You know, it's like exactly. It's just a, it's nice to be a picture on a website. Everyone feels like they're a bit more. Cred- I felt like on some of these associate roles that I had that I was a bit more credible because I appeared on some other people's websites, and they probably liked having someone on their website, which made them look like they had a bigger team than they had, and that's all great. But there was no actual work happening. Yeah. Um. But but so but as you after you'd registered the domain for three D coaching, do you remember how things? got off the ground well I need to kind of confess to the secret magical power for growing my business and that is 
I could only work while the children were at nursery or at school. So I started it when the younger one was at nursery, what, 9 till 11.35 mornings a week. Then another year or so later, she goes to full-time school. So then I've got, you know, by the time I've dropped them off, I've got 9.15 to 2.30. I've never worked in the school holidays. So, and and then I used to travel and do stuff, but I used to swap childcare with friends. And so I'd have their kids and they'd have mine. So the business could only, I could only do as much work as I could do in those gaps. And, and that meant that I was quite okay about a very slow build. Mm. And I know that that's a very privileged position to be in. Because if, you, if you're trying to fill the equivalent of the salary that you're wanting to leave, and that's full time, then that's a much bigger jump. But what it allowed me to do was slowly, 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 slowly. And that slowly, slowly, slowly has been, I think, the thing that's been the foundation of the success of the business. Yeah. And, you know, I just love, I just think it's such a, uh, what would you call it, like a, a mindset of possibility, a view of possibility on that situation. Because I've sat with coaches who were super stressed out about the fact that, you know, being a parent, usually being a mum in these conversations that I've had, was so important to them. And that that meant they had, you know, people with this real uh, tension about the fact that their desire to be a mum and their desire to do something with their coaching were clashing. But what you said, this, this is the magic power, right? It's a, the success of the business is you had these these times, 9 till 11.30, and that was the work you could do. And then, yeah, you had some, yeah, there's some privilege to that. But there's also some difficult things about it because it's this like, you know, you couldn't, because of your, I imagine, because of how much how important being a mother or your children were to you, there really wasn't any more time you could give to that, even at the times when you wanted. Yeah, and the thing that I never had was personal space because either I was being a full-time mum or I was working. So there wasn't any other. And my Not not just any work either, right? Like work with other people and supporting other people, which is, again, you know, it's like wonderful, but it's not time for you. Yeah. So the very first thing that I did pretty much so I've never borrowed money. So everything that, that you know, there were times when I didn't take out much, but I never put in any and I never borrowed any, so I never had to repay any. Um, but the first invest financial investment I made was um, I got a VA. So I hired a company called Moneypenny, who in those days were just starting out. They're now massive. But um, they had a team of people and Kathy was my was the lead of my VA team but she had a lot of other people who also worked with her so that when people rang my phone number it got answered by a human being who'd say 3D coaching cat speaking how can I help you which meant that there was always a human on the other end of the phone and it meant because when I started we didn't have mobiles either <laughs> right there we go it's happening on the phone yeah I love it so so she would she would answer the phone, which meant there was always a human at the other end, which meant that I had no pressure mm. to, to, to be doing the children and taking phone calls at the same time. And there was a hysterical day 
when I was watching Blue Peter with the children and somebody rang. And it was somebody who, it was a work person, but we had become friends. And she, she said to Kathy, but she didn't know I had a VA, so she said to Kathy, can I speak to Claire? And Kathy said, no, I'm sorry, Claire's in a meeting. And she said, but I know she's there. I know she's there. I know she's in the other room watching Blue Peter. Can you not go and get her? Love it. So, yeah. No, got to watch Blue Peter. Very important, important work. There's also something about, I just imagine, I'm just thinking about what it's like, you know, <laughs> I love that we're talking about, you know, the previous era, the previous technological era. My brother often says, you know, he's so glad looking at his stepchildren and then now his son. He's so glad that he and I, you know, had had our childhood before the technological era so we can remember we're the last generation basically that can remember both sides of this mm -hmm. shift i'm just thinking about people this side of the change and the difference you know between having kathy taking your calls meaning that essentially there's no most of the stuff probably came in through the phone <laughs> not yeah. through email um and someone's taking it and dealing with it and you know that versus emails coming in essentially 24 7 an infinite number of them and potentially and most people aren't don't have someone answering their emails um and the difference in that just sounds enormous for what would we say for having a clear mind when you're not in those two and a half hours a day that you're working yeah and i think you know if somebody said what's your biggest advice it is don't multitask all the time yeah. so i've just had 10 weeks off sabbatical i put um i put an out of office on that said gone for a walk it was a very long walk, it was 600 <laughs> kilometres. But that's another story altogether too. We might um, get to that. But nothing has gone wrong in the 10 weeks I was off. So I took no work calls. I didn't check my email once. There was a hysterical moment because I won the Henley Coaching Award and it was all discussed while I was away, but I didn't know anything about it. And Congratulations, it, by the way. Thank you. And it got delivered to our house. And my husband thought it was a wooden spatula from Amazon and didn't know why it was so heavy. It was really <laughs> and He rings me up in Spain where I'm doing my walk and he's going, this has come for you. You should have heard the scream. <laughs> <laughs> How exciting. But 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 I mean, yeah, there's that there's that piece. Don't multitask. And, and so just. I mean, I guess people listening can hear that, but why is that, if that's the advice that you would give to people, why is that so important? I hear too many coaches go, I haven't got much work. So I won't, so when I'm on holiday, because I haven't got much work, I'll check in on my emails because anything that comes in, I really need to make sure I convert it. But it means that you never get that headspace. You never get that. You know, we talk to people about all these lovely things. You know, people come to coaching, don't they, because they're overwhelmed and all those other things. And yet we do that to ourselves because we can't put it down. So I don't touch anything for work between when I finish in the evening and when I start in the morning. I've taken off. I have for a long time had my work email on my phone. I've taken that off. I'm very liberal without of office messages 
and either I'm working or I'm not and when I'm not working I'm not and that's really helped yeah and And if I'm on holiday I will not check in for any reason and I put a get lost message on my voicemail and and Claire like um how can like so I can imagine somebody listening to you say that and again thinking well that's easy for Claire to say she's got a team now so and it's easy for Claire to say because she's been doing this for 35 years. And, and she people has, want Claire and so they'll wait. People want Claire, exactly. So what's the, but but I can feel, and it, I've got another question about it, which we'll get, maybe we'll get to later. I can kind of feel how there's more to this than that. So, you know, why, like, what would you say to those people? Or why, why even when you don't have people necessarily wanting you in the way they want you now it would that still be the advice you would give because more than half of being a coach is being a human well actually 95% of being a coach is being a human 5% is the skill bit and if we can't learn to focus we're not focusing and recovery is as as important as delivery and it doesn't matter if you only think you can take three days off that's fine but take three days off (laughs) you know I hear so many coaches who say you know they do it on a Saturday and they do it on this and I really get how we have to fit it fit it around other stuff the Bishop of Oxford I so I used to do a lot of work with clergy and um coaching around interviews and those kind of things but somebody when I was working there they said that the Bishop of Oxford years ago it's probably dead and gone now but that one um he used to say when you get a new diary that's an old-fashioned thing isn't it when you get we're really very last century here Robbie (laughs) it's great Um, when you get a new diary although I've gone back to paper now but when you get a new diary he used to say the first thing you do is put your time off in it and I am very bad. So I I have two speeds, which has probably helped this. I have a speed that is on and I have a speed that is off. And people say I overwork and I do overwork when I'm on, but I am tremendously good at being off. So I only work 36 weeks anyway. So I take 16 weeks a year off and always have. I didn't work in the school holidays. Nobody noticed. So I still don't. <laughs> Amazing. But what I do is I put all my time off in my diary. So my electronic diary has got 16 weeks blocked out on repeat for the next. Beyond when I'm dead, it'll still say that I'm on holiday. Yeah, you'll be on, you'll be on the best holiday then. <laughs> because if I've taken my if I put my time off in my diary and somebody says, can you do this really fun thing? And it's in my holiday then I can go, am I going to choose to do that or not? And if I choose to do it, then I can move my holiday. But if my holiday isn't there, by the time I realise I need a holiday, there's something in every week. You know, an hour here and an hour there and half an hour here. And I look at my diary and I think, well, I can't take any holiday. Yeah. So I'm a great believer in, in getting business development days, thinking days and holidays in the diary before, you know, two years ahead so that they can be moved, but they won't be got rid of. 
Yeah, there's so much in there for people to take away. There's the there's the practical side of it, which I found to be true as well. It's like there takes some discipline, but at least if you put the stuff in, then you have to make a choice when you're confronted by the clash. Whereas yeah. otherwise, you just instinctively end up exactly like you say with the diary with no holiday in it. And and it also reminds me, he's quoting somebody else, but in um, I'm, I'm reading. 4,000 Hours by Oliver Berkman. Oh, yes, I love that book. And he's quoting somebody else in it whose name I can't remember. Um, but but that person, I think it's a woman, talks about um, pay in time as well as in money, pay yourself first. Yeah. I think that's what it was doing. So, you know, it, it's a, a more widely spoken about thing with business. It's like, remember to take, if you take your money out first, then you won't accidentally spend all the money on the business and have no money to live your life, pay your rent, go on holiday. But time as well, right? Pay yourself first with time. Otherwise, it'll fill up with other things because that's the way of the world. Yeah, and it, it it really, really matters. Because it's not restful to be doing an hour today and half an hour tomorrow and three hours the next day on holiday week because you're, you're sort of activated all the time. And even if you say, I absolutely love it. So I took 10 weeks off. Four weeks, I wrote half of the next book. And then six weeks, I did this 600-kilometer walk across Spain. But in the four weeks, I also wanted to be relaxed and give time to my husband, who is very tolerant of when I'm on. <laughs> and I'm working, you know, early till late. So, so I committed because it was August and, and it's light early in the morning, I committed to get up at six o'clock every day and write for three hours because it was a sabbatical, not a holiday, and we'd had a holiday in June. But I wanted to make sure that I had good time off and that I did good writing. So I wrote three hours every morning, six to nine, which anyone who knows me well knows is quite difficult because I would really rather stay in bed till 11 but I did it and then I had all day and all day I wasn't thinking about the book at all well it was probably but I but I was off email because I'd switched the email off on the 31st of July and that kind of boundary was really lovely and really life-giving so I had all day I had to do a lot of training for my September walk so I'd kind of walk for five hours <laughs> and then do some other nice fun stuff but I wasn't going oh no I must check that email or oh no I must ring that person or oh no I must do that and that oh no thing is very very draining yeah there's a piece in all this um about being able to switch be able to be on or off practicing not having the oh no in the back of the mind which it feels to me is also in service of, because these are like, I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, these are the kind of things that people I'm coaching talk about all the time, right? Yeah. The kind of things that people want. And it reminds me of something in the intro of, of Simplifying Coaching. Um, you write, I want coaches who are confident, empowered, and brave so we can develop people who are confident, empowered, and brave. And, and it, I guess that made me think, do we have to be the things that we want to develop in people. And there's there's an element of this that reminds me of that as well. It's like, if we are able to do these things, it's in service of our work. And if we're able to be confident and empowered and brave, that's in some way, it feels like from what you wrote in the book, in service of supporting people to be confident, empowered and brave. I'm wondering what you think. She read that. that. I thought that was quite good. I, I've got a 
no recollection I wrote it. Well, I, I mean, I can't prove you wrote it, Claire. I can prove it's in the book. I can show you it. Well, I obviously did write it. <laughs> How funny is that? I better read that book before I get the manuscript to the next one sent to the publisher, or there might be some copyright issues. <laughs> one of the things I was talking about to somebody this week is the idea that in order for the, in, in order for the people we're coaching to be brave, we have to be brave. But actually, when we're fearful, we're also going to be projecting that. If we believe that we that that the me being brave enables them to be brave, then surely me being fearful enables them to be fearful. And I'm not saying that we need to be superhuman, but I think that how we are has an impact on how they are. Mm. And that's just like a, and the reason I'm slowing down is that just feels like a really important thing to slow down on, right? How we are impacts how they are. Yeah, yeah, and it does. And coaching, and I, I know this is in fine coaching, but coaching isn't somebody who's sorted, having a conversation with somebody who isn't sorted. So it's not that we have to be sorted. I think, I think we just have to be aware that how we are impacts other people and we train people how to work with us. So if I regularly, if I say that my working day finishes at five and I regularly make calls at six, then I'm telling people that I haven't got a boundary. So my working day finishes at six because I have 16 weeks off. And somebody has been telling me all week that they really, really want to speak to me. And I said, I I can speak to you at 5.30 on Friday. And she said... I don't work after five o'clock. And I thought, good for you. But, you know, we, 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 we flex a bit and then we flex a bit more. And then, you know, coaches will say to people, so when is convenient for you? I did that for years. I would say to people, where would you like to meet and when is convenient for you? And I used to do face-to-face coaching. And I used to end up driving all over the place, do two two sessions and then drive an hour home. And then we got an office 15 years ago and we were paying rent on the office. So we'd say to people, would you like to meet in London or would you like to come to the office? And they all went, oh, okay, we'll meet in London or we'll come to the office. So I'd gone from going wherever anyone wanted me to go just saying I have two places. I have this place and I have this place and I have on the phone. I don't think I've lost any clients. No, I've lost any work from saying this is how it is. So one of the things that coaches, you know, instead of saying to people, when at all in the day or week or look in my life, would you like your coaching session? I can do Tuesday and I can do Thursday. Which of those is better for you? If neither of those work for you, then we can see what else we can come up with rather than going, oh, yes, I'll do anything you like. Yeah. I once had a, on this podcast, I had an episode with, with two business partners, but how they'd met was, and people can check this out, is Phil Bolton and Inga Umblia. I knew that how they'd met was that originally Inga was Phil's client. And I thought it was too good an opportunity not to have them talk from either side of that enrollment process. And Inga still remembered, I can't remember how many years on, like probably eight, 
eight years on or something that when she got so she found out about phil through some mailing list she was on she emailed to say can i have the i'd love to take you up on the the, the first conversation and he emailed back and said how about i can't remember what it was tuesday 8 a.m pan quotidien south bank center that was the whole email and it was just like then she could say yes because it's like so easy and yeah but but it's interesting isn't it because there's so, again there's a lot in in what you're saying that I think is is really valuable there's like there's the piece about modeling the boundaries and therefore kind of it's like leadership by example and I've had clients I remember one of my clients who worked in a university academic researcher just coming into me one day and being like I just asked my friend for a oh no she didn't I think it was just that she we were already talking about it. And she said, I want to be like, I can't remember the name of the guy, this guy, because he just has Wednesday afternoons with his spreadsheets. And so he'd said no to her, like, you know, for something, because he, and he told her, I have Wednesday afternoons with my spreadsheets. And it was amazing leadership by example, by him to set that boundary. Because suddenly she was like, that's a thing I can do. Yeah, I can have an afternoon with my data doing my research, which is why I got into this in the first place. You know, a client of yours might be like, Claire, st- Claire actually stops at six o'clock. You know, I could actually stop at six o'clock. That's a thing people do. Um, Unless I choose not to. Right. So in two weeks' time, I've got a webinar from six to se- or seven to 8.30 or something. But then I'll move something else around. So across the bottom of my very big screen, my brother. We live with my brother during a lockdown because we had an issue. We moved out of a house and couldn't move into the next one. And my brother does IT. And he just went, Claire, your kit is awful. You're on this tiny laptop with a little screen. He said, you need a big screen. So I've got a big screen. Anyway, across okay, maybe, the bottom maybe of I need my a big, big screen. screen. I'm on a tiny laptop as well. Yeah. Uh, you need a me. big screen, Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> so across the bottom, it goes training weeks one and two, supervision groups weeks one and two, two webinars or podcasts a month. So those are my boundary rules. Now, of course, I'll be flexible. But when I start putting in training courses and supervision groups, I make sure they're in weeks one and two, because that means that weeks three and four can be much more flexible. When you get closer to them, you've got the potential to do something else. I invented this thing. This is still old. We're still... We're still in the 20th century. Let's stay there. If we want to move, we can move, but we don't have to. Okay. 20th century was great. So I, because I'm on or off, I know that I overcommit when I'm on. So really quickly, when I started the business, I realized that I was going to be overcommitted. And either I worked outside of my hours or I found a better way. Hmm. So when I got my new diary and put my holidays in and my date, all of that, I then took Every six weeks, I stapled the pages together. We've got someone new to the team. He's been in the well, he's been the team about three week, three years, and he said to me not long ago, he said, "In your electronic diary, why does it say stapled week?" <laughs> stapled. So, so then when people said, "When can you do stuff?" and I flipped through my diary. That week didn't exist. I love it. And then the week before, I'd take the staples out. So that meant that if somebody, oh, yeah. so if 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 an organisation wanted to commission a piece of work and, and, and wanted a, a coffee 
to talk about, would we like you to do some work with us? I was never more than five weeks away from knowing that there would be space to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that still saves me. Yeah. So really from nice myself. I, I think, um, Claire, I, there's a thing that I had a, one of my, an insight for me, my version of that was like, I had this insight where I realized, like, I think I, sh- I, I always think I should be smart enough not to do weird stuff like that. I'm just not. And, and I think that a, Vet, like a under when people talk about attributes for productivity they often talk about discipline and uh, things like that under under talked about undervalued is humility to go actually stapling the diary together sounds a bit silly i mean it's funny but it sounds a bit silly but it, it's what i need to do because I, I was just getting this picture of you skimming through like when can we meet and you're like you you, you can't skim open to the sixth week it's so great like yeah, you need to talk to um, somebody at Google or something so that they can set it so that probably someone's made a plugin for Google calendars. I don't know. So that you can set it so that you can never open the yeah. week. Like it just skips past it. That would be, that would of be course. cool. You know, if I get a call from number 10 Downing Street and say, will you coach the prime minister? I don't. And we'd like to have a meeting with you. And it's on the Wednesday of a stapled week. I don't go. Sorry. <laughs> That's my stapled week. <laughs> You know, you've always got the flexibility, but I know, I know that my number one task is to save me from myself. (laughs) Yeah. And therefore, I have to put in really disciplined times because whatever the boundaries are, I'll push them. So I need to make sure that the boundaries are are here so that when when I push them, they are still reasonable. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that part of the way you learned that was by having these tight boundaries imposed by nursery hours. And I love the, the thing you said. I think that it's, you know, I've heard people talk about it before where, where you've got constraints that often creates creativity, right? So you are like, I, I am I either have to work outside of these times or I have to find a better way. I, I'm curious, you know, I guess you could answer this in one or two ways. Like, how did you fill those hours with work initially oh, and or? Yeah, no, maybe that's the that's the best question. Let's let's go with that, unless you can think of a better one. But. So I brought work with me from a place where I had monetizable credibility before. So there was that work. And then I can't remember. Yeah. But I think the thing that I knew I shouldn't do was endlessly work on the business without doing any work. Because that's a real temptation. So, so in that, in those days, coaches had leaflets. Oh yeah. I feel there's going to be people who go, oh. I know it's, it's worrying that there could be people. I mean, probably not. There could be people, you know, born after the internet, who yeah. are, uh, but, you know. But now it's you know now it's websites. But the thing is, you can spend hours and hours and hours and hours creating something that nobody's going to look at because nobody's going to your website. Um, so I think there's something about good enough profile. So people need to find you if they look you up. But now with LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn might be enough in the short term, but I think there's something about designing things and there's a sort of just-in-time thing about creating things in time for them to be used rather than endlessly creating things that actually nobody's wanting. 
it's a great way of thinking about it i never really thought about it like that that actually and it's you know i many people will you know if you actually if you listen if people have listened to all the episodes on this show they'll have had loads of examples there's one that's coming to mind a guy called barry ennis who, who actually sadly passed away um last year i think but he talked about how he created the corporate coaching offering for his company when he got a meeting about having a corporate coaching offering and it was like a really good way of doing some really good work fast and effectively but i never really thought that the thing about the stuff we do when we're kind of preparing the business to be ready or getting it good is actually stuff that might never get used that's you a great see what friend. i'm going to be doing this afternoon oh yeah oh, la, la. <laughs> you say to the client you say to the client yes of course we've got that <laughs> it's great it's great i mean it's how you, you mentioned linkedin i once saw the i went to see reed hoffman who was the founder i think talk and he said so the bit of linkedin that makes money is is not the what they like when they pitched for money initially at linkedin they had like It'll be like, we don't quite know how this is going to work. It's going to be, pla- it'll either be A or B or C. And it was none of those, how it added up for money. It was the uh, job postings, right? That's how it worked. And how they created that was exactly this. Some, like some people rang up and said, what's your corporate like recruitment offering? Let's make one quick. They hired somebody and they made it. And that's that's how LinkedIn yeah. broke even in the Because then, then it's easier to make it yeah. because, because, yeah. You've had the conversation with the person who wants it. So the thing I've got to do this afternoon, which I won't disclose, in case the person concerned is listening. <laughs> but we sort of kind of had something. But what they asked for was actually a really brilliant thing. Mm. You think, oh, yeah. But I've got to create that. But creating it is going to not, it, it means taking a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of the other and putting it all together and crafting it. But it means that it's something that's actually fit for purpose because it's useful for the person who asks for it. Whereas if I'd hypothetically done that, I wouldn't have had the same insight into what needs to be in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you're creating something specific rather than trying to create something vague in general. Yeah. yeah which is yeah. a lot harder, right? Because you've got the, you've got the, again, the constraints to make it work. So so in those early days, one of the ways that I got work was that there was a healthy living centre where we lived. And I and, and again, I completely understand that I had the privilege of being in a world where although you had to explain to people what coaching was and get them to understand, there weren't any other coaches asking for the work. So when I went to the healthy living centre as a coach, they hadn't met a coach before. And then they thought, oh, yeah, we'd like a coach. Rather than them going, oh, we get 20 CVs from coaches every day, which is, and I, so I recognize it's a different place. But then they, they were trying to get, um, they were trying to get corporate relationships going. And so uh, they said to me, do you think you could do a talk on work-life balance to this insurance company? So I'm going, Sure. So I now have to think of what I will put in a talk on work-life balance to an insurance company. And then the insurance company go, oh, we like that. Can you do a talk on? Mm. So so my offering was the things that I began to offer were created in response to somebody asking me to do something. And I did have a lot of coffee. You know, a lot of it was, but I also was trying to not 
only have, you know, I was trying to balance how much are kind of networking coffees and how much is actually monetizable and convertible into work at some point. And, and I, one of the things I did, which I would really advise people to do is be wise about how many coffees you have with somebody mm-hmm. and call it work. Yeah. You can have coffee with somebody and call it not work, but you know, you have a first one and you think maybe there's some work we could do together. And then they go, let's meet again. So then you meet again and then you have another coffee. There's a there's a line at which this is not going to turn into something. And actually, you need to be investing your time elsewhere. And it's really easy, I think, to convince ourselves that we're doing work. Yeah. How how do you draw that line? How do you know when it's starting to stop being work? I think there's something about is it moving forward? Yeah. But, you know, I've designed training with people. We've all done it. I've designed yeah. stuff with people and then nobody ever wants it. And you never do anything with it and it goes in the metaphorical recycling bin. And you have to make mistakes in order to find the things that work. Of course you do. Yeah. But I think there's something about being true to yourself and being and telling the truth to yourself and being a bit wise. Yeah. And so over the like um this is it's kind of a hard question. Over the time between then, the initial 3D coaching, you know, mornings while nursery was on, and handing over um just before your birthday or at your birthday. Like when you look back, what are the key moments? What 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 built success for you, do you think? And those might be different uh questions I've just realized. So one of the key moments was when somebody, one of the things that's really interesting to learn, and then I'll go to the key moments. One of the things that's interesting to learn is that you can pretty much trace all of the work we do now back to three people, which were good coffees. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's great grandparent relationship now, but I'll give you an example. So I had a vicar on a course that I ran in the Church of England um, for women clergy. So this was when you couldn't be a woman vicar. Mm. So I've been around a long time, right? She came on the course. She really liked it. She was the chaplain in a hospital. She had a conversation with the learning and development person in the hospital who said to her, if only we could do this, it would so what they were talking about was people in the hospital were going on courses and they weren't embedding their learning when they came back so they were coming back from the course they were putting the hand out on the shelf and it wasn't making any difference and they were just having a chat just a coffee and the chaplain said to the L&D person have you heard of coaching because it sounds like if if people knew how to coach People could talk to people in their teams about how they were going to embed the learning and that would go on over time. So so the L&D woman in the hospital rang us up, rang me up and said, can you do something? And and I, we, with a colleague who I was in partnership with at that point, we uh, wrote a course called Coaching for Excellence based on what they said they wanted, going back to... Mm -hmm. 
fit for purpose. And we delivered that. That course turned into transforming conversations that turned into the book Simplifying Coaching. Now, if we found the handout for that course in 2003, I think I would be so ashamed of it now because, of course, where I am now and what we teach now is 5% of what I taught then because I thought then you had to teach a lot because I'd been taught a lot, so you think you have to teach a lot. Um, And now I'd strip it all out. But that first contract in the NHS in 2003 now means that we earn more than six, we earn six figures from the NHS every year Mm. in delivering that kind of material. Now, I can tell you all of that went back to that one person. So that was a good copy. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. But it's interesting because I don't think, I've remembered until we were just speaking now that we didn't have the course to sell them. They said Mm. what they wanted and we designed a course that was going to do it. Yeah. And then because you, you know, I don't know, like you said, you design, we all, if you try, if you work in the way that you're talking about, you're going to design some things that work and some things that don't. And part of it was the invitation and part of it was that it was the right invitation for you and that partner to design something, which meant that it was something that even if it was just 5%, you know, it was like it had the 5% seed of all this work that's followed. And that's, yes. yeah. So it's like, it is those things coming together. And you probably had to have some bad coffees to... to, to of course you do. Ones. And you have coffees that you think are going to lead to something and they don't. Yeah. So I'm not saying don't have the coffees. I'm just saying know when to draw the line because that's what my know when to think actually I'm not sure that this one is going to materialize because they won't all you know you throw the seeds in the garden I planted forget-me-nots all the way around the outside of our garden forever ago nothing came up I went to Spain I've come back and there are so many forget-me-not plants at one bit end of the garden that they're going to have to be all lit up because it's like it looks like thousand seeds went here and they're all going up and then and then you move three meters up and there's nothing now i sowed those seeds all the way around but they're not there but they are very abundant in places (laughs) and you can't essentially you can't find that out without scattering the seeds no. You can't find out which is the place where the abundance is going to be. Yeah, and I've no idea. Yeah. I'm really rather gutted <laughs> that they're not on the front where the road is because that would be really beautiful, but they're not. And yeah. Am I going to – I have another packet, forget-me-not seeds, and I, I'm not sure that it's worth scattering them in the same place again because uh, I, love, I, love I don't it. know. It's such a good metaphor. Like, you made that call. It's like – and it just occurs to me that, you know, in case people aren't doing that, conversion in their mind this is we're talking about this from a kind of uh business development coffee point of view but i you know i've seen it in with with potential coaching clients all the time like sometimes it's worth the chase the chase email the nudge to somebody and sometimes you realize it's not and sometimes somebody goes away comes back goes away comes back and in the end you know you keep trying going after it but sometimes it doesn't work and i think it's a really it's a really interesting question to ask like the metaphorical question that you're asking there which is you've tried something once before it's something that you really like the idea of and would like to happen it didn't happen do you put 
you have a limited amount of forget me not. So I guess you could buy some more, but like at the moment you have a limited number, it's the, you're asking the question, do I, do I go for that same thing again? Or actually do I go where I know it works or is more likely to work or I try something completely new that I, cause I'll learn something else from that too. And I think that is all, there's an endlessly good analogy for building a coaching business in the thing that you've been saying there. Can I just offer one other structural thing, which I don't do now because now I have star, but I used to, it, it worked for like 20 years at three days, 60% delivery, 20% admin, 20% business development. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I think as long as you've, I mean, in some ways, I think as long as you've got a rule of thumb for those th three things, um, but that sounds like a really good, good balance to me. And I think if you find you're doing 90% business development, 10% delivery all the time, you need to look at it differently because yeah. you're not developing business if it's not converting into delivery work. Yeah. And, and if you you're, think if, you're, and if you you're think doing all you delivery, are. right, exactly. You think you're doing business development, but if it's not, if you're not developing business, you're not doing business development for you. And if you're, if you're all delivery, then um, you need to start creating some space for business development because otherwise there'll come a time in the future where there might not You'll be. You'll get a hole. Yeah. Um, there's two things that I have on my list that I wanted to ask you about, about um, 3D coaching over the years. One is that you've already mentioned, this, the single session coaching. Yeah. Um, and the other is uh, fair fees, fair pay, how that works. Which of those would you like to talk about first? Uh, well, we've touched on single session coaching. Let's talk about fair fees, fair pay. Yeah, tell me about that. So my faith is really important to me. Yeah. Um, my accountant gets it. My financial advisor thinks I'm completely bonkers, yeah. but is very tolerant now. So I think that an hour of my time is worth an hour of your time. So all of our people get paid the same, including me. What we charge out at is different. So we try and charge fees that are fair on the sector that the person who's coming for the work is coming from. And if we think they can pay more than that, we negotiate with them and say, we need to find something that's fair for you and fair for us. So that's true in our supervision and our mental coaching and everything. Um, so whatever the person is charged out at, what they get paid associates and staff will get paid exactly the same hourly rate so the last person in gets the same pay as me in terms of per hour we then have a profit sharing arrangement for our staff and associates that we then split the profits at the end of the quarter in proportion to how much work people have delivered and our admin people also get a profit share so that means I earn a lot less, but my people earn a lot more. But I think there's something about equity and fairness that is such a big value for me that that, that is more important almost than anything else. And we give away 10% of our work, but not to people who say, please do this for nothing. Yeah. How do you choose when to give away the work? Uh, so... I work now a lot globally and I am very distressed when I get a, 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 an email or have a call with somebody in East Africa who is 
doing some really good work, wants to become an accredited coach and is contacting mentor coaches around the world who are saying, my fee is my fee, when in order to pay that fee, she's going to have to sell her car. She then says to me, how much are you going to charge? And I say, how much are you charging for coaching? And she says this much. And I say, then I'll charge you this much for mental coaching. At which point she bursts into tears and she said, I can't believe you've just done that. So I call that giving away 10% of our work because we're, we're giving that away massively under what we would normally get paid by anybody else. Now, I had that conversation with somebody who was paid a very lot of money per hour. And he said, I'm going to report you to the ICF Ethics Committee because it's completely unreasonable that I should be in a group with somebody who's paid less than me. Yeah. And I want to go, but you've just told me, let's just take the number. I think it was more than this. You've just told me that you're paid £500 an hour. So I think you should be paying me £500 an hour. And this person I'm thinking about in... Southeast Africa, she gets paid $20 an hour. So she shouldn't be paying what you're paying because an hour of her time is worth an hour of your time, right? So I'm quite outspoken on this. I love it. Although I don't often talk about it in public, but if you get me on it, I'm quite outspoken because yeah. I think that I think that it's a complete sham, the money thing. Because but it's, so, it's so funny because I was going to say, you know, with one of my mental coaches, I, I sometimes have to talk to her. Like, in fact, we contacted her to do some work with with me and a partner of mine, and we insisted on paying her more than she normally gets paid because I'm like, well, what is this? This is nonsense. And I would have no problem, you know. I I uh, don't charge five hundred pounds an hour, but like, I, I have absolutely no problem. Like, it makes total sense that thing to me. But I was so I was going to be like, I can't imagine anyone would ever argue with that. But of course, there's someone who will. I do that with my supervisor. I said to my supervisor a long time ago, I said, I'm not paying you that. That is absolutely ridiculous. And she said, that's my fee. I said, I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to, we're going up 50%, okay? Yeah. Because there's something about equality and there's something about power and specialness and everything else. And there are people in the coaching profession who have monetizable credibility from another world that mean they can be, have been coaching for 40 hours in total and be charging £500 an hour. There are other people who haven't had that, who haven't got that little black book, who aren't working in that sector, who are lucky if they get £50 an hour. And they're working all the hours they can to get work in. I'm not, I am not willing to say to them, this is my fixed fee. And I want a Porsche. <laughs> so therefore, I'm going to charge you this much. So I know that we charge a lot less than lots of people for lots of the stuff that we do. But there's something ethical for me. And it's really funny. So somebody's been persuading me forever to put up my fees for my one-to-ones. Mm. And I've been averse to it all this time. And I've just put them up. And then he said to me, I want to work with you one-to-one. And I said, <laughs> he said, what are you charging? I said, well, I listened to what you said. So I've more than doubled. And I said, so the fee is this. And he said, do you do mates rates? And I said, well, you did work really hard on persuading me to do this. 
So, so normally it's this number or the hourly rate that you charge your clients. So he looked at me <laughs> with a look and I went, so my fee is mates rates then, right? <laughs> so funny. Because, you know, people say to me, you know, you've got 35 years experience and you've got all these, I don't know, it's probably 15 or 16,000 coaching hours now and all this mentoring and all this wisdom. So surely you should be charging a lot. Well, I am just a human and I get that there's something about reaping the rewards for all that investment. But equally, I can't fleece people. I can't. I won't. So we need to come up with something that's fair. And actually, my new negotiating strategy is to say, my fee is normally this. Let's think about something that's fair to you and fair to me. So when it drops, because people can't afford that, it often drops now to higher than the number I would have said in the first place. So there's something about learning to negotiate. Mm. Yeah, very nice. There's kind of pieces in there about... um power and equity and it's this really interesting phrase on your LinkedIn profile I might have seen it somewhere else I know the LinkedIn profile is old which is with some definitions you might assign me power I do not deserve yeah you say something about that and why that's there on that LinkedIn profile other than you wrote it a while ago and it's stayed there that's the bit that I wouldn't take out Robbie yeah 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 there's an awful lot of guruing (laughs) pedestaling my colleague says it's called and there's an awful lot of special people in this profession and when we make when we make somebody think they're special or when we treat them as though we think they're special then they become special and then we get a a power differential between them and us and um you know a colleague showed me the Tony Robbins website this morning because she was saying that they there was something they were doing really well on it and that maybe we could get that as an idea of how we sort of did something on ours. But I wouldn't, that's not something I normally look at. Tony Robbins is a human being. He is no more special than you or me or anyone else who's listening into this podcast or watching it. He is just a man. How much power has he assigned that he doesn't deserve? You know, he's just a man. And you're just a man, I'm just a woman. Well, now we live in a we don't know, we live in the 21st century. I think I might have made a huge assumption there, but I think probably good I didn't. You're you're good, you're good to assume that about me. Yeah. Um yeah. So so there are all sorts of power games. There's an awful lot of guruing going on. And it really but I mean, now I had somebody the other day who who wanted a session with me so I said yeah that's fine and then he had a session with me and the first thing he said was I can't believe I'm in the room with Claire Pedrick and I'm going what he said well you're just about to find out I'm a human being and I'm thinking what are you expecting from this conversation that scares the living deadlights out of me actually because my understanding is that we've come to have a conversation with a purpose and you're a bit over I'm that it that really bothered me and then 
we had we did what the work we'd agreed to do. And then and then I got a message from him and he said, um, our invoicing numbers have just um we've just celebrated a very good number of invoices over the whole of the history of 3D coaching. And we were just hitting a very significant number. I'm not going to say what it is in case this person can identify themselves, but they probably can already anyway. So he said, I'll pay you a lot of money for a one-to-one if you give me invoice number. And I'm going, what? Who? I actually had given, I had made sure it had gone to one of my favourite people. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had also noticed that it was coming up. And I thought, when I was giving the stuff to our admin Ness, I, I came out and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice if so-and-so had that one <laughs> with all the round numbers on it? Um, yeah. Hmm. But 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 we we are in a very hierarchical world where where we have the wise elders and we have this, and actually we are all human beings, and it's very disempowering to people who think they are less than others. And I don't like it. I'm very opinionated. That's why it's fun to talk to you. One of the many oh, Thank you, Robbie. <laughs> um, let's talk about the book a bit, Simplifying Coaching. Um, when we spoke on your show, people can go and check that out. We'll put a link. We'll put a link in the show notes for people listening. They can go oh, and listen to me on 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 the coaching in uh and um, we'll put links to the other things we're talking about as well um but you said you have a theory about books i think you said like uh did i write it down every big book is really just one idea yeah what's the one idea in simplifying coaching uh create a container for transformation yeah and and the rest of it is about how to do that and the things that get in the way Mm. yeah Mm. Yeah, really nice. What? So that book came out in 2020? Yeah. I think I looked it up this morning. I think I got that right. Um, what do you love most about the fact that that book is out? Can I be really honest? Yeah. That every single person who's given me feedback, apart from the person who put a one-star review on Amazon, agrees with me. <laughs> yeah. And... How all of that, all of those years, I thought that what I thought was dissonant. And if I'd known 10 years ago what I know now, I'd have done it before. Uh. But I had a fear and and there are some really lovely coaches um, who I've known for years and years and years who I really rate, who will know the angst that I had about what was the backlash going to be. Yeah. Because there's such a strong voice in coaching about research being really important and you shouldn't do anything unless it's research. The ICF, the International Coaching Federation, are now pushing towards research. And I don't think the practitioner voice is heard enough. So lots of new coaches write a book because they think coaches write a book and then they self-publish and they sell 30 copies or 100 copies or whatever it is. But, but I, yeah, I wish I'd written it earlier. But it was it was overwhelming to recognise the number of messages I still get every day from people mm. who go, 
thank you so much for writing this book because I always thought it wasn't that difficult. Yeah. And it just frees people. It goes back to the freeing the mind thing. If you're not trying to do a thousand things in a conversation and you're only trying to do a few things, you can do it much better. Yeah, I'll, I'll be forever grateful to my one of the trainers on my coach training, a guy called Vegard Olsen. And he, at the end of the first module, where they were sending us off to do to begin to practice, and we were all panicking with all the crazy stuff that was in our mind that we couldn't hold in one place, Vegard just, just kind of stopped. I can kind of see him. I don't know if it's a real memory, but I can kind of see him stopping and just saying, look, as long as you listen as well as you can, and ask some open questions and trust the process, you're going to do great coaching. And like, I think about that. Well, still clearly um, yeah. years and years later. Yeah. But so uh, I'm really pleased that that publisher came, that she. Uh, yeah, how, how did it happen? So I was speaking at the ICF conference uh, you said, yeah. uh, in 2019, I guess. Yeah. Um, and she just came up to me and said, have you got a book in you? So I went, yeah, but I wasn't planning to publish it. It's been, it's, it's been around. It's called Simply Coaching. And she went, that's not a very good title. <laughs> and I'm very grateful. Laura, yeah, that's why, her name is. That's why, you need, that's why you need a team to work on something like a book. With, Absolutely. It's a big project. Absolutely. Can I just do a little... Lee, if any if anyone who's listening has read it and bought it off Amazon, do pop a rating or a review on, yeah. because um, that's the way to get the algorithm to share it with other people who are also looking for something that's slightly dissonant. Yeah, yeah, and it can't like it just just to emphasise that you know because I've done tried to do a lot of learning about the publishing industry in the last few years, and yeah, it can't it can't really be overstated how important that is and how valuable it is those rating systems you know yeah. and so every time you don't have to do it right but if there's something that you really value and I think for some reason I knew this like I <laughs> it's a weird thing that I never talk about um I uh at one point when I had like a boring this is so in the early days of the internet there was a kind of dot-com business that went bust that would give you that sold cds that would it was like a competitive amazon that would give you 25 loyalty points for every review you wrote so me and my brother used to basically like get our music by writing reviews on it was called streets online and then at some point when i was really bored in an admin job um i put a load of those reviews on amazon i think i kind of knew like the first review i wrote on amazon was essentially the review of a, a band that wasn't very successful that i thought was amazing i was like there aren't many reviews i you know i need to tell and help people find this band the kind of dissonant voice thing mm. so i guess i had that weirdly at some point amazon they have a scheme where they ask you where they send people free stuff to review um because to try and create high quality reviews in the system yeah so they have they have algorithms that create the quantity so i used to do that for a while and then they kicked me out because i hadn't done any reviews for a long time but um th those reviews are really important and so if people yeah. are listening and they like your book or any of mine then um <laughs> please write a review <laughs> or a rating that would be very very yeah. useful because it does make a difference. Um, it really does. So, yeah, completely agree with that. And I'm glad it's there. And I think, you know, one of the things I sometimes find, Claire, you know, is, is like, because of course we only, we all only have some view of, say, the coaching industry or the world of coaching. And because I was lucky, I think, with both, like lucky and I selected well with the training that I did and the mentors that I've had, um, 
they have mostly taught me to simplify coaching. Yeah. And so it's still, you know, I, I'm very grateful for that, but I also know, you know, I've got a, some of the, I, you know, and I know that some of the people who run these courses, some of the best coaching courses in the UK, I've had people coming back, talking to coaches who are on them being like, I'm kind of overwhelmed with all the frameworks that I've been taught. And it's like, it's okay. You can chill out. It's, yeah. You're going to be great. Right. Remember the first stuff they taught you. Yeah. Um, and is it, was there any backlash? No. No. All that angst. No. I can't have to tell you. I mean, I I was I was ready for it and I'd got some kind of strategies in place and some some well-known coaches who liked what I was saying. You know, they were ready to support me, but we haven't had any backlash. I don't know whether it's not been read or but yeah. now it's kind of got its own authority. It's it's now found its own authority and it now feels as though me and the book are the book's got its own identity. Yeah, interesting. Which makes it feel less risky. Yeah. Because it's just out there and it's doing its own good thing. And COVID, I have to say, has been really good for our business because the book came out in December 2020 and every webinar I was invited to be on I said yes to yeah 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 and and went global really really quickly because before I was delivering training nine to five three days a week and on site and now because my life is entirely online and somebody says can you do this in Malaysia at one o'clock you go yeah sure yeah (laughs) yeah and um Maybe it's the maybe it's just that you could say more about the container now if you want. But if there were if you were to pick out one or two, because lots of like uh, what do you say like ideas in that book, I guess, all focused around that that central idea of simplifying coaching in the container. If you were to pick out one or two that that stand out for you now, if you can remember any, um, a couple of years on, what do you what would you pick out? Well, I think it's something about don't start doing the work until you both agreed what you're doing or at least agreed that you don't know what you're doing Mm. and I think that coaches lead conversations accidentally all the time Uh, yeah yeah such a good point yeah and coaches this is a little bit of a what's going to be in the next book but coaches make if the whole purpose of coaching is somebody feels heard and gets new insights into their own stuff the, the the enabling people to feel heard pretty much most coaches can do that most of the time the art is the other bit which is how do we support people to get new insights into their own stuff and we don't do it by telling them what the meaning is so what happens is i think that in a coaching conversation usually there's a moment where transformation is likely to happen don't know when it is don't know how it's going to happen but usually that's what happens at some point And when I listen to recordings of coaches coaching and watch videos of coaches coaching, which is my favourite thing, you can see it coming. And it's just about to happen. And then the coach says, so it sounds like that's beginning to answer your deeper question. And the thinker goes, oh, yeah. Well, they go, yeah. But actually, the art at that moment is to wait, because if the person 
makes their own meaning at that point, that's where the meaning is going to be really deep. And we just, so we're going up to the, we're going up to the line where the moment is and the coach sees it a little bit early, goes over it and goes, here, come on, come on. And actually the art is you, you see that it looks like the line's coming and you step aside and you let them go over it. And then you go, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's such a uh, powerful practical thing that any coach listening can can you know i'll be doing it next time i'm coaching can can you know just put a little bit of attention on in the next coaching session just when those moments when the moments come in just wait longer um can i be really honest yeah so claire pedrick with a third class degree for a long time thought i wasn't as clever as people who have first class degrees and lots of intellectual knowledge but the thing that I've learned that I know how to do is that I can communicate complicated things simply and and now I found that people actually want to hear that and that but it's taken a long time to have the confidence to go actually so somebody will say in a session you know how do I do this and what do I do if this and what do I do if this and how do I decide which model to use and whatever, whatever. And I can now just confidently and authentically go ask them. Because I absolutely fundamentally deep down in my soul know that that's the answer mm. and that nobody's going to judge me, that that's a bit simple. <laughs> yeah, it can't be that easy, basically, is the kind of story. It can't be. Yeah. Just ask them. No, yeah, but you see, complexity is monetizable. So if I tell you that you need to know a hundred really complex things in order to be a great coach, and yeah. that you can come on my program and I'll teach you a hundred important complex things, then you'll go, oh yeah, and then you'll pay me for that. Yeah, so interesting, isn't it? And then I'll have a Porsche. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> but I don't actually want one. So and maybe in this in this simple thing, so. Um members of the coaches journey community and supporters of the podcast if they you know some of them have a thing they pay so they can ask questions and alex swallow is one of those who, who i know he told me <laughs> so he, he he often asks questions and i'm very grateful to him for this one it's, it's a cool question so he like there's a bit in um simplifying coaching which is something like um you ask what is you, you you invite us to ask what is the least we need to do together in order to enable new insight in this person and alex's question is basically what do you think about something like nature and nurture when it comes to this if you were new to coaching and ha if people were new to coaching had you know either innately or had practiced or were already a good people person you know had some of those skills and they read one book about coaching like that gets to it maybe a good one like yours like could they be world class essentially first time, given the given the sort of what is it, the the simpleness of this? And or the other side of it is why does it seem to take a, lo a lot of practice and experience to do the simple thing really, really well? Well, it depends if you learn simple first or whether you have to simplify the complex. Yeah. Do you think you have to? Do you think you have to kind of go through a phase of do you, have to, do you have to go through the complex or, or the equivalent of your thousands of hours with those people to? No, you don't. 
No, you don't have, you don't, you thought, don't have to go through the hours, do you? You don't have I, to. I thought you did, but you don't. So I've got a story for you, Alex. Mm-hmm. So uh, I run uh, Get the Love Back. This is another this is another thing that you do on demand, isn't it? And you think, oh, that's a good idea. So we get contacted by coaching um, pools in organisations or in groups of organisations, usually whose coaches have done ILM level seven and usually who've lost the love during the training because of all the overnight assignments they've had to write and all the complicated things and they can't remember it. So we often get invited, I often get invited to go and run a day or two half days online or even half a day online to just bring a bit of fun and simplicity back into it. So they I don't know how long the ILM7 is, but it's quite a complex process over a year. So I went to this venue and they all, they all knew each other because they'd been in two ILM7 cohorts when they arrived. And this other woman arrives and she doesn't seem to know anyone else. So I go, hi, um, have you come for the, I can't remember what it was called, get the love back in coaching, whatever it is. And she went, oh, I thought this was an introduction to coaching. And I said, that's okay. Stay, because there'll be lots, there'll be plenty to learn. And she said, oh, is that okay? And I went, yeah, sure. I'm happy, you know, the, 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 they commissioned me to be there. It was on neutral territory. It was my gig. There was always going to be enough lunch, wasn't there? So I said, stay. So she stayed. And um, I start those days out by doing a coaching demo. And they go, I can't believe you did so little. And I can't. And the person who's being coached goes, I can't believe that I unlock that. And normally <laughs> I would take that to a two-hour coaching session five times, you know. Because there's so much data transfer and actually coaching is about getting them to process their data, not transferring it to me. And so we waste a lot of time in coaching. So then I um, I got them to, to look at what were the questions that I'd asked to create the container and they could all see the container. And I gave them all a card with the Stoker's questions on. And then I said, why don't you go away and practice now? Wait, what, so are the, the ones what are the Stoker's done, questions? The Stoker's questions know? are the ones in the book, the the... They're the the questions that you can use to create the container at the beginning. Um, And so she got this little card and she said, but I've never coached before. I said, it's fine. Just trust the process. Pretty much take a deep breath. Don't look afraid. Listen to what they're saying. Ask those questions as they're talking and see what happens. The person she was coaching had transformation. And the other people in her quad went, well, how come she could do that? Because I didn't do that. And I said, well, what was happening? And what was happening was they were still bringing complexity. So they were jumping into doing the work before they were clear what the work was. And one of the things that I know now that I didn't know when I finished writing the book is that if you, when you create a container for the coaching at the beginning, what are we doing? How are we going to do it? How are we going to know we've done it? If you say to somebody, What's the question you're bringing today to think about? They go, oh, I've got to think. And then they start thinking what the question is. And then if you say, so in the hour we've got, which bit of that do you want to focus on? Then they keep thinking. Now they're moving. 
So the climate for a good conversation has already begun because they've stopped being stuck and they've started to move. Whereas if you say, what's your goal for this session? And they say, I want to get unstuck. And you say, so what's the reality now? And they go, I'm really stuck. And you say, tell me more about how stuck you are. You've now been there for 45 minutes. They told you how difficult it is. And now you're going, well, now what are we going to do? So getting the conversation to flow and to move at the beginning is a bit of a secret weapon. Yeah. And it's available to anyone and creates a container in which transformation can happen for anyone. Yeah. And if I think it's my responsibility to make the conversation work, you're going to pick that up. Yeah. Now it is my responsibility to make the conversation work. It's my responsibility to spend the whole conversation trying to make sure it's your responsibility. But you now think it's mine. So we create a lot of the stuff that gets stuck in coaching, we create ourselves. Yeah. I did a supervision with somebody yesterday and she said, it's not a very good session. And I said, I know. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I played the video for nine seconds just to make sure it played. And she went, and? And I said, you were leading. And she went, she said, I took the whole conversation trying to get partnership back. And I said, well, that's really, that's going to have been really difficult because because that quite straightforward question at the beginning was so leading. It was, shall we talk about this? Mm. And then he goes, I'm following you now. And that's simple. But we've got to look for the simple stuff. When we look for the complex, so when people watch coaching demos, they watch the coach. And then they go, my goodness, that coach is amazing. I must replicate the following 26 questions that I'm going to write down and try and use in my next session. Now your encyclopedia of questions has got 9,500 questions in it and you can't remember which one to ask. But if you watch whether the thinker is thinking, you learn how to be silent and how to wait while they're doing some good work. Hmm. Love it. <laughs> you talked about your faith several times in this conversation. I'm curious, when you're sitting with somebody and you're working with them one-to-one, what part is that playing? I think many. I think there's something about who I am as a human being. So I am a, a... I'm not trying to minimise myself, but I am a small person in the whole of history. And having a belief in something outside of myself puts my size in context. So, of course, I play my part and I want that to be a significant part, but it's a very small part of a very big whole. So I also believe that the person that I'm talking to is made in the image of God and is robust and whole and able to do with their own stuff. 
whatever their belief is, my belief is that that my belief in them being robust and whole comes from my belief that we were all created equal. So there's an equality that comes from that. Um, I read a really interesting article actually earlier in the week by somebody who was talking about this and he said, you know, there's what there's what happens in me and there's what happens in them and there's what happens in the space between us. And, and being aware that we're part of a bigger thing means that 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 sometimes it it's not a vacuum that's between us. There's a there's a there's a sense of of another. And that will be different in different conversations. So the last line in simple, so I didn't talk about my faith in simplifying coaching. And then you'll you, you might remember on at the end of the last chapter, it says, take off your shoes, the place you're standing is holy ground. And that comes from the Bible. Well, it comes from the Bible, and it's also in the holy books of the Jews and the Muslims, because it's in the those first five books of the Bible, which are shared texts. But there's also an awareness that we're on holy ground in every coaching conversation, and that my job is to notice where the holy ground is. It is not my job to create it. <laughs> And I got some really good feedback from somebody years ago who said, um, I really like that we go deep and I really like that I get the insights, but you don't wait long enough when I get them. And that's actually somebody who came to me because I was a Christian and she wasn't. Um, although she subsequently was, <laughs> uh, which was an extraordinary thing because I had conversations with her in a way that I would never have had conversations about faith in a coffee shop. Yeah. And I saw the value of enabling people to come up with their own meaning. But she said to me, you've just got to stay. When something happens, I want you to stay to back off for longer. And that's the most amazing, extraordinary thing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Most coaches would say, I imagine, or many coaches would say those moments, they're like their favorite bit, right? Yeah, they are. How many of us are rushing through them once they're there? Yeah. And and if you wait, that the you know, the meaning, the insight, all sorts of amazing things happen because we don't jump all over them with other things. We just step back. Because it's holy ground. Yeah. Whatever your belief or not belief, there is holy ground in the coaching space. If we don't cover it in stuff. <laughs> yeah, if you take enough stuff away, you'll find the holy ground. Um, we're almost at time, Claire. There's one other kind of, I, I, sometimes what I'm noting down in these conversations is like a thread that I don't want to make, I want to try and tie up before the end. One is you hinted at, which I would have wanted to ask you about anyway, you hinted about the next book at one point. Now I know it's early in the in the thing, but I saw you posted about it on LinkedIn a month or two ago or a little while ago, whenever it was that the kind of, I guess the deal was done or something like that, Yeah, slightly cryptically. You've mentioned yeah. it a bit now. At this stage, I think you told me on an email it's due out next year sometime. Like November. November next year. So, um, yeah, about a year as people are probably listening to this when this comes out. Um, yeah, what, um, 
What can you tell us about the next book? Nothing. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's an anticlimactic. Great, great question. Dot, dot, dot. We'll speak again so, in a year so the when, we, book, when you can answer that question properly. The next book is about is about growing deeper as a coach. I'm writing it with a colleague and uh, we are speaking with the publisher about the blurb on the cover and the there's an in, there's an ip issue about about nailing the prop the intellectual property as your own and uh it should go we hope that it will be on pre-order on amazon before christmas okay. and that will have the cover blurb in it and then it will be public what it's about and then once that's happened we're going to be going out to our linkedin uh world and asking people to give us some feedback on different chapters. Okay. So if people aren't following me on LinkedIn, do because that'll come out as soon as as soon as Amazon have got it in their thing, uh, then we'll be going out and asking people. Yes. Um, potentially even. So this this episode will come out start of December. So potentially even when you're listening to this, um, people, you might be able to do it that. It might but be if, nearly if ready. Not yeah. soon. Um, so keep an eye on that for sure. We're ready, but we just need to go through the other bit of process. That's an important thing to do. And it's super exciting. <laughs> and people who are listening, just Claire just did a little silent, excited face there that you you didn't see. Um, Claire, it's been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation. Um, as we're coming to the end, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with the listeners or or pull out particularly? Well, I think every conversation, if you had it again, would be a different conversation. And that's true in coaching, isn't it, as well as in this podcast. So we may have gone in a completely different direction and and what came out might have been completely different. But that would have been a great conversation, too. And I've really enjoyed this one. So, you know, it goes where it goes. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm looking forward to having you on our last podcast at the Coaching In of the Year to try and get your 100 in, Robbie. <laughs> getting close, getting close. If anyone's listening to this early December, um, I'm getting pretty close on my podcast challenges we're recording in November. I, I probably need, even with Claire's help on a second one, I'm going to get I'm gonna get tantalizingly close to 100. So we'll see, we'll see if, if, if I make it. So, if, but if you're listening and you've got a podcast or you want to start one and have, have me on it and have me definitely say yes to being on it, then if you ask me before the end of 2022, probably like I never do work over Christmas, right? I always have that off. But this year, if I'm at like 98 podcasts and someone invites me on one on New Year's Eve, I'm going to be there, right? To try and get to the, get to the hundred. Um, it's been a total pleasure. So you've mentioned following you on LinkedIn. Where yeah. else should people, if they want to learn more about your work, we talked about the, we've talked about simplifying coaching. We've talked about 3dcoaching.com. So I think we've given most of the links, yeah. but is there anywhere in particular people should look? Uh, LinkedIn, everything goes out through LinkedIn that goes out through any other channels. So we're on Facebook. The podcast um, is The Coaching In. You can get that on all major podcast channels. Yeah, we haven't Just talked type. about that. I've got a circled thing here. And it wasn't circled. That's probably why I forgot to ask about it. I can't believe I forgot to ask about the podcast. You know, with about this is this is how my mind works in a in an interview different to coaching. I was like, with about about half an hour ago, I was thinking, there's two more things. And I remembered one, which was the book. We did the book. And then I forgot the other and thought it was the next book, but it wasn't. It was the podcast. Okay. So yeah, tell give in 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 two minutes, 
tell us where the podcast... Oh, I have an embarrassing thing to say about the podcast as well, Claire, which is I told you when, when I was on the show, well, this is a great name for a show. And, and you told me a bit about the origin of the name. And then about like... <laughs> About a month later, I actually got the name of the show. I, I, I thought like it's just a cool name to have the idea to have a, a pub. And then I was driving through, I can't remember which little English town it was. And I was like, oh, I've got to text Claire because this 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 pub here is called a coaching inn. And then I was like, oh, that's it, isn't it? That's why it's a good name. How embarrassing. So people who don't know in in, in England or the UK, um, there are, yeah, I mean, you could, you could tell it, but there are a bunch of inns that were inns for stagecoaches, like horse drawn yeah. coaches to stop at that are called coaching inns. So the coaching inn is the name of Claire's podcast. And it's a play on words, which Robbie did not get until rather embarrassingly. And then, uh, but yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about where that, um, came from and, um, yeah, what people can expect if they okay. listen. So the coaching inn was a cool name that, was for a email list in about 2001 that failed after like one circulation but I really always liked it as a name and then uh about two or three years ago two years ago I think we always thought we might do a podcast and then there was a reason to record one we needed to share something and it seemed that an audio would be the best way of doing that so we decided to do that and um the coaching in was born and then, of course, share, 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 and then interesting people come. So it ran, if you if you go back through the episodes, there was one episode and then there was a big gap and then another one and then a gap. And then, and then it suddenly became clear that really interesting people in the world of coaching, really experienced people would be willing to be interviewed. But also we were getting lots of questions on webinars and things from people who were going, what about this and what about that and what about the other? So we often on a webinar get a question that's, you know, what's the R in stokers, which is a kind of build on what's in the book. So I just go to people, come to the podcast and we'll talk about it. So if if a coach emails me or if there's something on LinkedIn um, that looks like it would be better done in conversation than in a LinkedIn reply, I'll just put a comment on and say, come and talk about it. So now we have really experienced people. We've got John Blakey coming soon. Um who's written lots of books. Um, and then we have coach who's been coaching for three weeks who's got a question about something else. So it's just huge fun. And it, it, I love it. I absolutely love doing it. Yeah. Well, it was an and we got Robbie. I, I, yeah. Best of all, or worst of all, depending on how you look at it. Um, people have listened to hours of me on this show. Don't You don't have to tune into the one with me. But it was a lot of fun. I had a, It was an absolute pleasure. And it was a kind of effortless experience as a guest to be on the show. And I get the feeling... That, that that that's probably true for everybody and um it's also like again that value those values of equality and fairness are really there right this like all these people and what a lovely thing it is right we sometimes we and i do this it's like oh all the people on this show i was on it. in fact i was interviewed for a podcast yesterday and i was looking at the other guests i started to get tense because they were like you know serious people and i'm not and but of course like who's to say what about that but how does that help the conversation be good well not at all and yeah, I love, I love that, that I love all the people that are on there from people like John Blakey to people who've been coaching for three weeks to me. Um, I think that's a great spread. I had a conversation the other day, somebody put something on LinkedIn and then hooked me into the conversation and it was about coaching and faith. Mm. And uh, one of them was in Hong Kong and one of them was in Belgium. And 
I said, well, let's talk about it. So we had a little five-minute thing or 10-minute thing on Zoom. And I said, this would be much better as a podcast. And both of them went, what, me? And I'm going, we're about to have a conversation that other people will find interesting, so let's have them listen. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, kind of the, the thing that I haven't said in this conversation, Claire, which goes to this a little bit, you know, you were talking about it a bit with um, thinking, feeling like you're less, I can't remember, clever than other people or something like that, and is there research enough in the book? And it's like, one of the I do quite a lot of work with academic researchers, and um, one of the insights I had early this year is, you know, academic research is one way of knowing. Yeah, and it's a really good way of knowing. Like I think it's it's a you know human, our experience as humans and and better lives for many people have been created because we came up with this really good way of knowing, which we can call academic research or the scientific method or something. But it is only one way of knowing, and there's something about. You know, this whole conversation for me, your work, the um, and, and the coaching, I think, is a good example of that, that, that thing you've just said of like, well, how do we build what we know yeah. for us and for other people? And that conversation with those people is a great example of that. And everyone's our teacher. Yeah. So, you know, I've been in a lab with however many thousand people. So surely that's research, too. Absolutely. I'll take that one, Robbie. Thank I, you. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I really think it is. Um, there are lots of really good ways of knowing. Yeah. Um, and thousands and thousands of hours of people is definitely one. And I think we've we've really felt that in this conversation. So, look, Claire, thanks so much. It's been a total pleasure. pleasure. Looking forward to being able to do it again, maybe when the next book's out or we can talk about that more or, or something like that. And looking forward to coming on the show again by the end of the year. Fantastic. And yeah, thanks so much for all your time and energy today. Well, thank you for having me. And I really like this chair. It's been good, hasn't it? <laughs> I'm thinking like I'm at the I'm, I'm realizing this is the longest meeting I think I've had at my standing desk so far. I'm like, maybe I should have done this in an armchair, but it's been fun to do it standing up as well. And, Brilliant. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Claire. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this, the final Coach's Journey podcast episode of 2022. Um, we'll be back with a lovely episode in January. Got some other good ideas for, for next year. But if you have people you'd love to hear me talk to, if you have uh, topics you'd love to hear me cover on the show, do let me know. Um, and before you go on to whatever else you've got going on the rest of the day, you might be interested to know about two ways to support the Coach's Journey podcast. So one is that you might be interested in becoming a supporter of the show. You get to ask questions of guests, depending on how much you pay, you get advance notice of who's coming on and you get to know that you're a part of keeping this podcast existing and helping it reach more people. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney. And you can also find there, you might be interested in joining the Coach's Journey community. You get all the things you get as a supporter, but you also get to be my client. You get to join a, a group of coaches who are committed to creating thriving businesses and thriving as people while they do it. Um, we, You can come along to group coaching calls. Sometimes there's one-on-one -on -one calls. Um, and it's a really been a really wonderful thing to see that evolve over the last few years. Find out more about that at thecoachesjourney.com slash community um, or on Patreon. Um, and, and a big thank you, as always, to Alex Whitten, Joey Owen, Alex Swallow, Ken Bruren, Neil McKinnon, uh, and to Damon Mitchell as well for your ongoing support. Wishing you all a wonderful 
wonderful Christmas and New Year if you're listening at that kind of time. Um, and I hope we'll have you back uh, with us on the Coach's Journey podcast in 2023.